Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing our conversation about Harry Potter and the theme of family. There's just way too much to talk about, so we turned our episode into a two-parter. This is part two, so if you haven't heard part one yet, you should go back and listen to that one first. So as we continue our conversation, we are going to start with Chris's compelling question for me. Uh, One of the things that is, I think, one of the most interesting aspects of familial relationships is the divide and often conflict that can occur across generations. And we have three or more generations at times kind of interacting with one another. Things can be issues. And so I I was wondering when you see those kinds of generational divides either between parents and children or grandparents and children and grandchildren or anything like that impact the story of Harry Potter? Well, one that first comes to mind is Mrs. Weasley and friend George. Mm. It's, she has this very specific path that like, oh, you're supposed to do these things to succeed or to be employable or, you know, whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. like, that's not their talents. And what they're good at is incredibly lucrative, as it shows. Granted, they're doing things in in ethical ways of testing their (laughs) products. So like, yes, come down on them for that. (laughs) No. But like, for them just wanting to pursue this, why not? And I'm sure Mm -hmm. some of their financial situation has a role to play there. But yeah, there definitely seems to be a strong divergence in how they're thinking about making a living and having a vocation and what life is supposed to look like. Because the twins want to have fun. They want to enjoy what they're doing and they're curious and they'll put a ton of work in when it's something that they're interested in and she just wants them to be interested in what she thinks they should be interested in and so i think there's definitely a divide there Mm. i think percy and mr weasley obviously have some conflict yeah over their views of what's right and arthur doesn't really have any compassion for Percy for growing up in the situation that he grew up in mm. and I don't know Arthur's family background but we know that Percy is growing up in this low income situation and he's trying to secure himself a job he's trying mm-hmm. to be able to do that and then he moves out and he's able to do that because he has a job, you know, and Mm -hmm. Arthur can't really have compassion for the ways in which it was hard for Percy growing up being an outsider or being laughed at for people not taking their family seriously for those types of things. And it's just because Arthur, one, he wants to do what he wants to do, even if the rest of his family suffers for it. And two... He has very strong belief of who he trusts and why he trusts them. Mm. And he expects Percy to have the same. But Percy doesn't have a relationship with Dumbledore. He's not growing up 
during the first war you know like he has a different life experience and some of the things that are being said sound a little ridiculous and so yeah i think he definitely doesn't have understanding for that yeah yeah percy i think is a really good example of of this because he also sees his parents engagement in the order of the phoenix as a threat to the work that he's doing he has tried to build the success Mm -hmm. despite the circumstances that he comes from and he's worked hard and gotten himself into a position that is in many ways extraordinary and he has to deal with the fact that his parents are seen as undermining of the the organization that he's he's trying to succeed within and that he has ambition within and his dad tells him that he only has the position because they're trying to spy on the family and yeah, it just completely so undermines yeah absolutely and it completely undermines all of these things that that Percy's done to value himself and 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 I don't think you know for a long time it sounded like Percy was helping out with you know, around the house, he was still living at home, even though he could move out. And he showed a loyalty to the family, but he reached a breaking point where he had to choose between what he wanted for his life and what his family's expectations were. And and I think that your your points about how he saw the world and how he who he trusted and how that was different from his parents is is really spot on. In he decided to go with institutions and things that he he had faith in rather than these promises of people who have let him down so much. Yeah, and the rest of his family want him to be an idealist, but he he's more pragmatic, you know, mm-hmm. and... And that's worked for him. It's gotten him to be yeah. head boy and, and a job well, out in the ministry right out of college. You know, if Narcissa was like, oh, no, actually, he's still alive. You should kill him again. Then he might be the only Weasley that survived, you know? (laughs) Not Mm, not to be like, that's why you do these things. But, like, he's not Harry Potter. He can't just not (laughs) work for several years and then just be handed jobs or something, you know? Totally, yeah. So he had to fight ideas about his family. He had to work hard, and he did work hard. He had a very intense work ethic, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and even though I can understand why his family would be frustrated with him, well, one, they were never very nice to him. Mm. And now he actually is getting praise from other people outside his family that are appreciating how anal he's being about <laughs> the thickness of cauldron bottoms, you know. Mm. But yeah, they just weren't understanding at all. Yeah, what he was going through, the choices he was making, and why he was making those choices. Exactly. And you could even see a little bit of this in the fact that he was keeping his relationship with Penelope Clearwater a secret, where Mm -hmm. he didn't trust his family to support him and his decisions. And he knew that they would use it as ammunition against him in these ways. And that, yeah, he couldn't trust or rely on his family in ways that, that would have been healthy and needed, because... When I think about what it would take for someone to lie to their family about one of the most important relationships in their life, it shows that there's a clear breach of trust in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, any other characters that you're thinking of? 
Yeah, I, I kind of was thinking about Dumbledore mm. and his... I don't even know who to compare him to that he's interacting with in this like intergenerational <laughs> thing. Maybe like, I guess, anyone younger. I mean, maybe we could even throw Snape in there. I'm not sure. But I think his choices to keep Harry in the dark to set him up to die. Mm -hmm. It's brutal, but also pragmatic. And mm -hmm. by the point of the, the end of the books, or let's say book six, because that's when he dies, he's been through, at the very least, three major wizarding wars. Mm -hmm. And he had to be the answer to the first one going up against someone who not only had the elder wand but mm -hmm. someone he had been so close with someone that he had been in love with and he had to defeat him going into it knowing maybe possibly kill or basically imprisoning him for life mm. and i could imagine that that would be jading in a certain way and just yeah come to understand that sacrifice was necessary for stopping these evils and in the second war when Voldemort first rises to power so many people died and he tried to keep people safe and it didn't work and mm -hmm. still so many people died and after all of that Voldemort wasn't even gone so by the time you get to the third one you know, I could see that his perspective would be different and and it was difficult for him. Mm. And he didn't want to ruin this boy's childhood. I mean, obviously, he already was in an abusive situation and he knew that it wasn't good, but he's like, this is the only way to protect him. And that was kind of the idea, but like also protect him for others mm. yeah i think where snape and and we would be like oh so you're just saving him so that he can die at the right time but that's from a very different perspective yeah yeah i think dumbledore is really interesting here and i love what you're you're saying about him himself living through generations and and kind of having to deal with with what that means and seeing the death of so many people across those generations because you know earlier we talking about how he has this kind of special relationship with harry that is filled with love but he still has a very aloof kind of personality and engagement with the students at hogwarts we don't see him developing many close relationships with other students i think that mm -hmm. his relationship with harry is really it stands out because it is so close and because he takes a special interest. But for the most part, he seems like he's pretty detached from what's going on in the students' lives and, and, and with the students themselves. And it sounds like he doesn't make a lot of close relationships with them. And, and I can understand why when he is always looking at these wars on the horizon and what will come next. And also always regretting his own mistakes and his own missteps that have led to people getting hurt, in particular his sister, and how mm -hmm. he tore his own family apart through his 
belief in himself and him, his knowledge of what's best and his power and intelligence. I think his his relationship with Aberforth is really interesting in that area as well because Aberforth, who doesn't have the same kind of, of genius that he has apparently, is still willing to stick up against him and fight against him when you think that he's wrong and that leads to a fracture itself between their those those two brothers well and i kind of wonder like i mean and i'm going with just the books here not potential rewritings of things <laughs> um with the new fantastic beast movies but oh yeah dumbledore's other brother i forgot about him <laughs> <laughs> who knows blood packs all these things um but if we're just looking at the books i could imagine he would be like i chose this person that i cared about over the destruction that could happen by not sacrificing in them in a certain way i mean mm. with grindelwald it wasn't sacrificing it was more like stopping and yeah that means yeah again death or forever imprisonment you know if that's why for a while he didn't go up against him and then when it comes to harry he's like i care about this boy but it's going to be this boy or thousands hundreds thousands millions of others you know mm -hmm. and him just yeah having a different perspective on that and you know, even with his, his good friend, Nicholas Fumel, you know, it's like, no, this stone is too dangerous to still be in existence. And mm. yeah, he'll, he'll die, but that's okay. Maybe also just with his age, maybe he came to have a different view of death as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was thinking of Percy and Dumbledore and then Neville, who we talked about before, you know, as I mentioned, these ideas of what happened to his parents and how that affected him and the way that his relationship with his grandmother was affected by that and, and how that affects his, his upbringing and everything. Mm -hmm. but the last thing I, I, I kind of want to talk about was just the kind of more thematic way that it's presented in the epilogue. Because oftentimes, as we see with Percy, I think is a good example of this, problems of a family can, can be passed down through generations and can lead to Definitely. those kinds of conflicts. And we even see that with the Marauders and their fight against Snape um, and bullying against Snape and how that turned and, and kind of blossomed into this greater issue of the Death Eaters versus the Order of the Phoenix and, and all these other kinds of, of mixed loyalties. And I think that J.K. Rowling is intentional about having these three or more generations of people who are in ways failing the next generation, where Dumbledore fails not only his younger sister, but in some ways fails to really support Tom Riddle in the way that he needs to not go down a dark path. And the Death Eaters lead to these, you know, really awful things that come up and lead to this war that their parents partake in which leads to a lot of the problems that they face and they have to clean up so while i'm not frankly the biggest fan of the epilogue <laughs> i think that it does do something really interesting thematically in that it shows this next generation and it shows how harry's generation is hopefully not continuing those divides and those issues and mm -hmm. there's a nod to, to draco and that characters are able to be 
outside of the Gryffindor-Slytherin binary and, and all these other kinds of things. And it ends with yeah. Harry's scar hadn't hurt him in years and all is well. That's the first time that, that could be said in, in so, so long. And when you pick up the Cursed Child, obviously that's not true uh, <laughs> and it doesn't stick. But I think it's an interesting way of kind of closing the door and showing that these generational divides don't have to continue and there are ways to break out of them and that they at least are on the path of doing so at the end of, of this story. Yeah, that's interesting and it actually kind of uh, leads me to my missed opportunity. <laughs> oh yeah, let's do it. Which is the epilogue. <laughs> because... <laughs> I just think it's a real shame that the main protagonist and antagonists of the series, they're both orphans. And we see throughout the books how difficult that can be. Mm. Yet the epilogue isn't about Harry being a good and loving parent to his godson, Teddy Lupin. Mm. It's about him with his own biological children. And... In interviews with J.K. Rowling, she had said that she initially wasn't going to have Remus die, which I was like, mm. why did you do it then? <laughs> <laughs> but then she decided that she had to because wars really do create orphans, which is so true. Mm. And we saw that with the first war with Voldemort, and so it makes sense to see it with the second as well but it's just such a misopportunity to me that that conversation in the epilogue that you know harry has with albus and as you were saying kind of breaking down those divides and stereotypes of houses and saying you know it's okay if you're in slytherin like one of the bravest people i knew was in slytherin and you know, why couldn't that conversation have been with Teddy instead? Mm. Uh, sure, Teddy wouldn't have been named after Albus and Severus to make, I guess, the same points to kind of, yeah, undermine those stereotypes as well as also, like, I think show that Harry had chosen to forgive both mm. Snape and Dumbledore, which, I mean, is powerful and, and important too, but... You could still make the same points by him talking about both of them. And it would have, in some ways, just bring so much more together at the end. This is how to truly be loving to people who need homes. What Harry didn't have, what Tom Riddle didn't have, what Sirius didn't do for Harry, mm. Harry is now doing for Teddy. Like that to me would have been so much more meaningful and so powerful. And instead, Teddy is just kind of pushed to the side and like mentioned in passing. Yeah, it's just, it's just a real shame because the books are centering around orphans and I think that they should also end centering around that and, and showing how meaningful and beautiful and important it is for kids without homes to be able to be raised by a loving, nurturing parent who is going to be supportive of them no matter who they are, what they are. Um, again, what Harry didn't get from the Dursleys. Yeah, that's my missed opportunity. Yeah, I think that that's so, so true. And it honestly brings up something that always kind of 
irked me about the way that Teddy's discussed because he's brought up because he's like snogging Victoire, the uh, daughter of Fleur and Bill. Yeah. That itself feels othering. Look, he's not part of our family because he's able to date one of our family members, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, because to me, I assumed that he would have been raised as their cousin. And now these are two cousins who are making out. And I mean, wizarding law is probably different. <laughs> totally. But they're making a but, choice yeah. there that mm-hmm. the one thing they're going to say about Teddy is that he is dating a Weasley, which inherently makes him not a Weasley. And uh, when... maybe he's dating a Delacour, okay? <laughs> That's true. Sorry. <laughs> but still, you know, a, a Weasley cousin. And yeah. when his, at l- the very least, godfather's wife, if not godmother, which is how it works in my family, where once you get married, you now you're a godparent too. But uh, <laughs> she's a Weasley too. And so it's it just, it's always felt odd to hear that and to feel, and I think this goes into the the criticisms of the fact that Rowling also has to make it so that everyone ends up with someone from the cast where it can't be well I feel like that one was just like oh we have to mention Teddy so like how do we mention him Uh, oh oh, absolutely well and again it's like so then it makes it pretty clear like he's not living with them or he's not close to them you know because they Mm -hmm. don't already know that this is the case yeah, yeah, and and so... They don't do holidays together? I don't, I just, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a much more separation there than there should be. Exactly, yeah. And I think that you, you really bring that to a head when you mention how this negates the, I think, really crucial aspect of the story, which is war creates orphans, and family and, and found family is an important way of building connection and relationships and community and love, and... I just wish that he, uh, that Teddy was represented through that lens rather than just, look, he's still around. Yeah. Yeah. And look, Bill and Fleur had a kid too, which is, feels like is what it's trying to do. Yeah. Also, I just feel like it would be so meaningful because Teddy is an orphan because of certain Slytherins, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very tangible thing. He has other members of his family that he never met but still are in his family that were a part of killing his other family you know and yeah it just would have been so much more meaningful and like so touching to see harry yeah have more understanding and support for a kid who he can understand some of what he's going through yeah absolutely so yeah, I guess what do you have for me for your missed opportunity? I think mine follows in a similar direction because, you know, when we were talking about the quote at the beginning, we were talking about how Harry, just because he was biologically related to the Dursleys, it was ignorant and problematic to assume that they would have a good relationship and they would have fondness for one another and, and things like that. And And I appreciate that for all the reasons we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, but I think that the book also has this kind of biological determinist perspective on family at times where it's about who you are related to. And, you know, Teddy's, I think, a good example of that in the treatment of Teddy that we were just discussing. But I think the best example of this is is Harry's relationship with his parents. 
and the way that he longs for them. You know, his his as you mentioned earlier, the his wish in the mirror of Erised is to be with his family. And Sirius takes the role of his family and all these other kinds of things. And it's unfortunate because it does mean that he is putting so much more weight on his biological parents than on the experiences that he's had and the relationships that he's built with all these other people here in the books. A way this is a missed opportunity is is I wish that they had, at some point, Harry's distress about losing his parents as a kid being directly tied to the abuse he suffered as a child. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing, right? If he grew up with loving, supportive parents and, like, a couple siblings or whatever, would that be his mirror of Arisid? I don't know. Yeah, and I, I just wish that that was made explicit at some point because every time, every time his family's brought up, it's so kind of implicitly understood that because they're his biological parents, they're the ones who should be most important, right? They're the ones who, when he's walking into the forest, he they're the ones who he relies on most for, for, for support. Though Lupin and Sirius are also there, it's the fact that his parents are there that's so, so important. And and part of that, I'm sure, is that they were, were never there, and he didn't get to know them. And I understand the, the, the implications of that loss as well. Well, and, like, Petunia would even refuse to talk about them and stuff. Like, exactly. Like, can't even have any information. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so I get all that. But I just feel like there's, there's especially when it's put in contrast with what I was talking about earlier, where everyone wants to have Harry be part of their family. Everyone wants to include him in a way that is so giving and loving and, and important that it almost lessens the impact of that, that found family. And a way that they could they could just kind of have this be at least mitigated a bit is just to to talk about how the actual experiential implications of his parents dying was that he was raised in an abusive household and that he had the first 10 years of his life be just completely awful and traumatizing in all these awful ways. Yeah, I just I wish that they had done something like that instead. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's hmm. Maybe maybe my takeaway <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. is thinking about how there's so many people, yes, that want to to bring Harry in, but it's more in as an aunt and uncle sort of role, hmm. not really in as a parent, because a parent means you also have to discipline the child a parent means they're gonna really not like you sometimes and yeah you have all of these other responsibilities too you have to pay for things you have to (laughs) um do all sorts i think the two people in his life that get closest to to that would be lupin because he actually does admonish him mm-hmm. at least once. Also encourages him. Also, you know, is the first person to really talk with him about his family. You know, he's he's much more, I think, a parent type of role for that year mm. that he's his professor. And then you have someone like Hermione who shouldn't have to be his parent <laughs> because she's basically the same age as him. 
Yeah. Uh, like a year older, a little less than a year older, but like still. <laughs> um, yeah. But she'll... Similar levels of development if they're in the, <laughs> exactly. same, the same year, but yeah. But she admonishes him. She <laughs> pesters him about doing his homework. She stays up all night with him, helping him prepare for the Triwizard Tournament. She's the one who, I mean, hunting Horcruxes was difficult, but like any type of comforts that they had while they were doing that were because of her mm. because she was on top of things she was planning ahead she was preparing and she's always encouraging him to do the right thing she's the only person after he almost murders draco that's saying this is bad you have to get mm. rid of that book so i think yeah those those are like two people who actually step into more responsibility rather than just the feel good love parts. That's true. I think I think that Molly Weasley steps in a little bit more as well, at least in the point when she's trying to make sure that Harry can't know what's going on with the Order of the Phoenix, where she is trying to say like a parent, he's not ready for this, you know, this is not appropriate for him. She's overruled because she doesn't have the ability to actually enforce that but i think that that's coming from and, and she makes it explicit that you know she's the closest thing he's got to a parent in her eyes and that's why she's trying to do this and and that's a way of i think trying to protect him in a way that clearly he he doesn't want but i agree that for the most part his relationships are yeah without much consequence or or restriction yeah one thing that, that's on my mind for my takeaway is how Harry's story plays into the trope of the orphaned main character. And and I think we've talked about this in the past, how this often happens as a way of ensuring that a character has to take up the mantle of responsibility because they don't have parents or other folks to, to rely on. And that, that, that clearly happens when Harry loses not only his parents at the beginning of the book, but later on Sirius and Dumbledore and all these other father figures. And he has to be the one who's who's doing this mission. But I think that after this discussion, I'm also I'm also thinking about how this story, more than most others, makes family I think a core aspect of it. Because it's not just Harry's lack of parents, but his relationship with the Dursleys and the Weasleys relationships with each other and with Harry and the way that Voldemort as you mentioned was tied so clearly with both sides of his family and what that meant for his identity and I think the importance of identity here is 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 more true than you know a Spider-Man who is also orphaned or Batman or these other kinds of things whose other characters aren't utilized in the same way to explore that theme and so yeah I, I appreciate how the story of Harry Potter takes this this thing that is fairly tropey it's pretty pretty well established that this happens all the time um <laughs> but it explores it in a more kind of thorough and intentional fashion than i think a lot of other stories do yeah absolutely it's something that always bothers me a lot in our society that like we love stories about orphans but like hardly anybody actually wants to foster kids mm-hmm and it, we're totally fine with going to wars that actually create orphans oh, around absolutely. the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when, when things actually show more of 
situations that can happen and just really damaging things that can happen when people can do something and don't. Yeah. We should probably wrap up there. What will we be discussing next week when we return to Lord of the Rings? So we are going to be looking at Lord of the Rings and possibly The Hobbit through the theme of ability. Okay. Ability in Lord of the Rings and possibly The Hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) That will be great. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can access our social media or our website by following the links in our episode description, or you can send us an email at geekbetweenthelines at gmail.com. You can also go to our wonderful Patreon page to join the patrons who help to keep our podcast sustainable and also get access to all the wonderful extra perks and benefits and and special content that we create for our patrons. Um, That's at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or search them for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. And we want to let you know that we will be taking a couple weeks off for the holidays. And so we will be back in your feed in just a few weeks. But thanks so much for listening to us. And we hope that you have a wonderful new year. We'll see you when we're back. Until then, geek out. out.